Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Sarah. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Byron. Thank you for having me. You're the author of a fairly new book that was published on the published date of November 2nd called The Art of Grace, on Moving Well Through Life. Tell us a little bit about your book, why you wrote it. So I was fascinated by the subject of grace as a dance critic, and I've been a dance critic for the Washington Post for 20 years. The idea of physical grace was, of course, what I've spent my career exploring, but I was even more interested in the subject of social grace or emotional grace and found that there was really very little written on that in any recent decade. So that you can go back in history and and back hundreds even thousands of years, actually, and find writings on social grace, on, you know, treating people well. But this idea of weaving it in with physical grace and spiritual grace and coming to a multidimensional exploration of grace in many, many ways, I could not find a book like that, and that's what was interesting to me. So that's what I set out to try to do with this. Hmm. Tell us about grace itself. What is it about grace that's so powerful? Right. That's exactly what I wanted to explore. And it's a beautiful, beautiful concept. You know, when you look at it in either in the religious sense as exemplifying God's love or if you look at it as easy, elegant movement, or as welcoming, warm behavior, developing connections with people. At the heart of all of those forms of grace is the idea of so ease in the body, ease in life, ease in social interactions, And I think that is what is so attractive about grace is this feeling of ease, you know, just, ah, relax, or wonder and awe, you know, the kind of moment that just opens you up and reveals something unexpected. And I think that is really what's so attractive about the notion of grace. How do we display grace in our everyday life? Could you give us some examples? Well, there's so many different ways. I mean, looking, for example, at physical grace, what I loved about researching and writing this book was finding it in so many forms of everyday life, so many forums, so outside of the performance realm, but on street corners, in coffee shops, you know, in anywhere you might go in public, you can just find your eye drawn to people who move beautifully, move smoothly. I had an experience in a museum in in busy New York City where the security guard just caught my eye because he was so warm and welcoming and had this way of, you know, 
sort of ushering you into a line for an exhibit with a beautiful sweep of his arm that was kind of like a wing. And, you know, it was just a, a moment to kind of relish this physical beauty. But also there is the grace of unexpected kindness, compassion. You're walking down the street and someone just smiles out of nowhere, you know. And, and sometimes when that happens to me, I realize how unusual it is. One often doesn't experience just a random smile from a stranger in a happy way, and that can just kind of be like a flash of sunshine. Or someone opening the door for you. You know, you're struggling to get into the coffee shop with a tote bag on one arm and, you know, your your papers in the other, and maybe you've just broken off the heel of your shoe. Or, you know, you stumble over the step and someone sweeps aside and pulls the door open and allows you to pass through with dignity and doesn't ask anything for it, doesn't make you feel like an idiot. And that moment can just you know, another flash of sunlight, just a moment that gladdens you unexpectedly. What connection do you think grace has with simplicity? How important is simplicity when you're trying to understand the elements of grace? Well, I think simplicity is very, is fundamental. You know, simplicity and elegance go hand in hand, kind of pairing away extraneous, unnecessary embellishment or comments or judgment, kind of a straightforwardness is essential to grace. But by straightforwardness, I would want to draw the distinction between sort of being simple and straight as opposed to blunt. You know, I think that oftentimes we overvalue honesty in a way that makes us, you know, can give us license to be blunt and almost cruel in a way that doesn't respect other people's feelings. So I think grace is a way to, I think, caring for other people's feelings and being mindful of people's feelings is essential to grace. Grace, as it's defined, is, is of course, simple elegance or refinement of movement. But isn't grace from the book really sort of how we talk and how we move and how we respond and how we act? I mean, don't you think that your book was really all about bringing grace to multiple elements of our life other than just movement? Oh, definitely, yes. It's, you know, like I was saying, it's multidimensional. So I talk about grace in movement, in athletes, in dancers, in moody stars and superstar performers, but also grace in the everyday, grace among cooks in a, in a restaurant, waiters, roadies hanging the lights and the rigging for a concert, grace in art, sculpture, and painting, grace in just walking around and experiencing life in dealing with people. I think so much of the stress that we experience comes from kind of difficulty in getting along with people, and grace is the medium through which we can get along with people of all kinds and all types and kind of be at ease. Happiness? <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that all... I, 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 of experience, command of who we're speaking 
too. I mean, there's a lot of things I could think of. Confidence in ourselves and our approach. Tell us more. Well, I think that the results, you know, one of the great results of grace is a deeper connection with another person. And connection is really what we crave as human beings. We are just hardwired to connect with one another. You know, we're social beings. And the deeper connection is what comes through grace. Because you're really paying attention to somebody else. You know, in being graceful, you're not thinking of yourself first. You're thinking of the other person. And part of being graceful is having empathy, really tapping into your inborn empathy, feeling what the other person is feeling, trying to listen and really understand where that person is coming from. And so in that way, that deeper connection is formed, right? Because you're trying to really understand. So then you can say, what flows from that? Sure, happiness, enjoyment, warmth. That all flows from a deeper positive connection with another person. And grace is the avenue to that. Do you think that the display of, for example, social grace is at all limiting? Is it a display of boundaries of behavior that are refined and almost confined? Do you see any restriction in grace? No, not at all. You know, we may have an idea that grace is kind of an old-fashioned notion of the higher classes of, you know, that it's something of royalty or Jackie Kennedy Onassis, you know, it's a sort of an upper class. You know, sure, that's 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 a type of grace, I guess you could say, um, you expect royalty, you expect Jackie Kennedy to exhibit grace that they've been schooled in because they've been schooled in how to leave a well-designed impression. But grace is available to all of us, and what it's really about is connecting with other people in a warm and positive way through compassion, empathy, and understanding. So there's nothing you know, confining about that. I guess it does take a little bit of polish, but that is the softening effect, you know, that you want to put on your behavior and your words, your actions, so that you're not causing undue friction and disturbance to somebody. But I don't think that's confinement I think that we may have gone a little bit, you know, manners, this was explained to me so beautifully by Judith Martin, who I interviewed for my book. We know her as Miss Manners, the the syndicated columnist. And she explained that, you know, manners instruction kind of goes in a pendulum swing. One era really emphasizes it and maybe emphasizes it too much, and then the next era comes along and says, oh, we've gone overboard, let's just let it all hang out and forget about these rules of behavior. Mm -hmm. And we may be in more of that type of a pendulum swing where honesty has been a little overvalued and being yourself, letting it all hang out, not governing your behavior is more accepted. But 
that can also hurt people's feelings. You know, we, we can end up causing undue stress with other people that way. So I think that grace is, if it does require a little bit of polish, it produces much more beneficial results because there's an ease and there's a there's positive emotions that come from it. Let's take a break, everyone. Back with a few more questions with Sarah in just a minute. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. We're taking on an extraordinarily difficult topic here, and I want to thank you for helping us through this. Here's an interesting question. How does grace find its way in the social sphere? <laughs> and what I mean by that is with our texting and our chats and our... You know, is there an element of grace that could be displayed with our social communications online? Oh, absolutely. Going back to the idea of being aware of other people's feelings and thinking of the other person first, 
which is really essential to grace. You know, turning ourselves outward and trying to make a positive connection and be supportive. What happens through social media is there's a distancing. You know, when you're texting with someone or you're emailing, you're sending a Snapchat, what have you, you're distanced from the audience, from the person who is receiving your communication. And that can allow a little bit more freedom or a little bit less awareness of how that can be received. And that's an issue. I mean, that's definitely an issue. That's, you know, we see that in cyberbullying, in all kinds of unkind comments that are left on websites and so forth. When you're not face-to-face with a person, you may not realize how your words can affect them. And so I think that more of an awareness of grace is going to be beneficial for that because even in reading texts, I mean, we have feelings about, you know, what we read about ourselves, whether it's online or in the newspaper or whether it's being spoken. The the feeling that we have is the same and we need to be aware of other people's feelings. That's essential, whether it's in the electronic media or face-to-face. From your perspective, is grace a skill or a practice or an approach that you have to life? It's all of those things. And the title of my book, being The Art of Grace, refers to that aspect of practice and that aspect of cultivating it, of polishing it, of being aware of it, and also of savoring grace, you know, that it's something worthy of working on and on and of noticing. But yes, I think it does take a little bit of practice that, you know, of uh, practicing social skills, of practicing how to soften criticism, how to help someone, how to start a conversation, how to reach out to somebody who may be standing uncertainly by the door at a social event and welcome that person into your group. And grace, those kinds of things have been taught throughout the ages, going back to the very beginnings of civilization, just about reaching out to people, moving well through life, which is the subtitle of my book. That's always been a very important part of civilization. As a matter of fact, our very first manuscript, the very first document that we consider a book, was written almost 5,000 years ago by an ancient Egyptian, and it was maxims from a father to his son on how to be in the world, how to deal with other people. And what he said was some of the maxims that he wrote were things like kindness is a man's memorial. In the eyes of posterity, the kind have a better claim than the rude. So kindness, compassion, gentleness, holding your temper, holding your tongue, those things were very important at the very beginnings of records that we have. And that was written about and philosophized about and examined in writings through the ancient era, through the classical era, through the Renaissance, 
and on and on and on into about the mid-1900s. That, that has always been seen as essential to civilized living. Do we ever get any training in our lives on grace? And if so, from whom and when and what stage in our lives? When does that grace class kick in? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> well, you know, that was one of the things that prompted me to write this book was reflecting on when I learned about it, you know, and I, I credit my mother. I think for most of us, it's our mothers, it's our parents who do try to instill good behavior in us when we're young. But I think that becomes more and more difficult as we've moved into an era of me first, you know, self-promotion. I mean, that's definitely kind of an overriding thread nowadays. We're all prompted to promote ourselves, whether, you know, it's online or in other ways, in our jobs, in our daily lives, the individual over the group, right, is kind of the ideal. But that gets away from the idea of grace as putting other people first. And so I think returning to these values of kindness, empathy, thinking about other people before oneself, is all especially needed now. Your work and your book are a bit connected, if you will, in that, I guess, shall we say, your dance work and journalism has really been a centerpiece of, of your existence for, for quite some time. Can you imagine writing this book without the perspective you've had? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I actually... Probably I wouldn't have thought about writing this book without my experience in dance because the physical aspect of grace is, as you were saying, it's at the forefront of my career. But also what you learn from dancers, and I'm so grateful to the dance world for the lessons that it presents in not only physical grace, but in social grace as well, because dancers are very highly attuned to one another and to their audience. You know, you build up an empathy by being in a performing art. You build through the rehearsal process, through this live art form where you're working with other people very closely all the time. You develop a very heightened sense of empathy and being able to read the emotions of the people around you and to really feel them, and also to be able to respond to the audience, to the energy of the audience. As an audience member, as I am several nights of about every week of the year, you know, I'm immersed in that world, so I'm swept up in that just the way anybody is who experiences a live dance performance. You kind of can't help being sympathetically swept away. So that does kind of prime me, I think, for a super sensitivity to grace in terms of physicality, but also emotion. And the emotional part, the social part, that's all 
very driven by empathy and by connection with other people. So I think that, yeah, my dance experience really sensitized me to that. Do you think that we're capable of having what I would call moments of graceful brilliance? <laughs> Where I'm thinking of athletes in particular that have these magical moments of performance in front of thousands, sometimes tens of thousands, that their bodies carry them to another level somehow, and they're able to do things that are truly remarkable, and you could perhaps contend that those were you know, brilliant moments of athleticism and or grace, arguably. Do you have a thought on moments of graceful brilliance? Well, you know, I have a chapter on athletes, and it's exactly right what you were saying, that, that brilliance where the grace comes in, you know, is in our appreciation of it. Like, for example, you're watching, who I, I talk about, Roger Federer, in my book, mm-hmm. as an exceptionally graceful athlete. And, you know, when I watch him, I just feel absolutely swept away. I, I feel kind of more inspired about the whole human race. He just mm-hmm. has such a lightness, such a an mm-hmm. elegance, a connectedness, it's as if he's doing a tap dance on the court, you know, it's bouncing side to side. It's so one motion connected into the other, almost as if it's all choreographed, although, of course, it's spontaneous. But it's just his ability to have that that kind of juiciness, that spongy quality, you know, I'm carried away by it. And the appreciation of him is a form of grace. It's sort of him returning something to me or something to the other spectators. Mm-hmm. Now, in our everyday life, what's interesting is that when I talk to people about grace, what they talk about first is awkwardness. Mm-hmm. So my book, The Art of Grace, is really a compilation of stories and interviews and explorations of grace in various aspects and with a lot of different people. And some of the stories that I was told start out, for example, I was diagnosed with MS, and I was in pain, and I was in discomfort, and I had to quit my high-stress, jet-setting job. Mm. Or I was an artist, and I was trying to make it in New York, and I just wasn't getting anywhere People were not getting my art. People were not getting me, and I was really depressed. And where the grace comes in is when those stories move from awkwardness to ease. So the woman who was telling me about when she was diagnosed with MS went on to say, but then I realized in quitting this high-stress job, and having to pay attention to myself and pay attention to my body and how I was feeling, I had to slow down for the first time in my life, and I developed peace. I knew suddenly what peace was. I could take care of myself. Sometimes I meditated. Sometimes I took yoga. Sometimes all I could do was walk out my door and down the street but it was so peaceful, and it was it, it brought an ease into my life, paradoxically, that I'd never had as a jet-setting professional. Or the artist who I was talking about said to me, 
suddenly I was, you know, it was a sloppy, rainy, messy, cold winter day, and I was crossing the street thinking about how terrible my art was going, and suddenly I realized I could just get away. I could just leave New York. I could take a left turn and go somewhere else. I could get one of those drive-away cars where you drive it and, and you drive it down to an owner out of town. And that's what he did. And he ended up in San Francisco, and he found a whole new audience. He found a whole new way to explore his art. And that moment of grace on that messy January day is what allowed him to see a new possibility. And I think that's the brilliance, you know, that you were talking about. it, It strikes us in these moments where awkwardness and ease come together, you know, awkwardness releases into ease. You kind of get this idea that allows you to escape or to allows you to see something in a new way. I have several questions that will follow from this one first question. But do, do you actually know people that truly live a graceful life all the time? Yeah, I think I do. Okay, good. <laughs> My second question then. <laughs> Excellent. I want to know more about those people later. I'd like to hang out with them a lot. To lead a graceful life, does the practice of, of grace have its time and place, or must it be active and core all the time? Well, I think that we can, we can try to bring grace into our lives at any moment. For example, myself, I was fascinated by the idea of grace because I have been a very shy and often socially awkward person myself, and I was so taken by people who were graceful. You know, what do they have? How do they manage to be the type of person who's welcoming, to be the type of person to make you feel good, to smooth over tension, to bring about ease. I really wanted to know more about that. So I don't know if I have perfected it. I certainly don't feel graceful every moment of the day. But in writing this book and completely falling in love with the idea of grace, I've come to see it as a worldview, as a philosophy for living, as kind of the answer to everything. Because, I mean, you know, what's better than a worldview that encourages connection, that encourages taking care of yourself, that encourages taking care of other people, and finding enjoyment in life in every moment. Can you imagine a life without grace in it? And do you think people actually have a life without grace? Well, I think that grace is something that we don't talk about very much. And so we don't, maybe we don't name it. And that was another motivation for my book was to really explore the notion of grace and to bear witness to grace and to also prompt people to think about it in their own lives, to reflect on moments of grace and to notice grace in their daily lives. You know, my book is not 
absolute. It's a framework for reflection. And one of the priests who I spoke to for a chapter on grace and religion said to me a really beautiful thing where he said that his idea of a saint is somebody who recognizes every moment of the day as a moment to experience grace. Now, we could all do that ostensibly. I don't think that we do. But I think the possibility is there, and that's where grace ties into gratitude and the idea of being grateful. Just there's so much to be grateful for in this life. You know, from very tiny, small things, you know, I'm grateful that I'm alive. I'm grateful to be speaking with you. I'm grateful to have realized a dream and published a book. I'm grateful for, you know, this beautiful day. So many things that we can be thinking of besides the negative things. And so I think that, you know, if it prompts readers to reflect on the enjoyment that's in their life or in moments, like you were saying before, these moments of brilliance that do happen, then, you know, that's a way to open up to greater possibilities. With regards to how we practice the art of grace, do you feel like you might have someone in your mind when you think of being graceful? You know, what would Jackie O say, you know, or what would Audrey Hepburn say? Does that become critical for that connection with grace? Oh, I think that's a perfectly good way to go about it. And like I said, I don't view my book as an absolute. I do discuss some people who I find graceful, and I discuss the reasons why. And I do find Audrey Hepburn graceful. Kind of my muse at the beginning of the book is Cary Grant. Mm -hmm. And I think he's a, for me, he's a fabulous person to bear in mind and say, you know, what would Cary Grant's reaction be? Because what I find so fascinating about him is that he was graceful and elegant on screen in so many of his movies. He just had such a beautiful way of moving, stemming from his experience as an acrobat and as a vaudeville performer before he ever got to Hollywood. But also off screen, he was elegant and kind and caring. There's so much written about him that was just a joy to read. I, I probably read most of the books that have been written about him. And there's so many moving anecdotes and moving statements from his co-workers, people who knew him, about his generosity, about his compassion. So I think he's a wonderful example to hold up, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Just to give you a few quick examples Ingrid Bergman credited him as the first and one of the few people to stand up for her and support her when she was being pilloried in Hollywood and even on the Senate floor for having a love affair with Roberto Rossellini, which Mm. became a giant international scandal, Mm. and he solidly stood by her during that. He stood up for Charlie Chaplin, when Charlie Chaplin's visa was revoked at the height of the McCarthy period. Mm -hmm. And Cary Grant spoke out against 
that and said we must not go off the deep end. And nobody in Hollywood was speaking out against the McCarthyism mm-hmm. and at that time. You know, that was that was really risky. So he was kind when it wasn't easy to be kind. Mm-hmm. I also like him as a muse being a man a graceful man, which is just a delicious notion. You know, it's a it's a gorgeous notion. We we kind of associate grace perhaps more with women, but to have a, a graceful man as sort of a, a guiding spirit through this book I thought was a, a very appealing thing. But yeah, I think it's great to have a model in your head of whoever it is, you know, Paul Newman or your mother or uh, Michelle Obama or, you know, <laughs> whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. Someone who you feel a connection to, who you feel is warm, who brings about a feeling of ease, who has a smoothness about them. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to bear in mind when you're thinking how to respond to this prickly situation. Mm-hmm. Sarah, two final questions. Who would you like to hear from and how can they get a hold of you? Well, I welcome any comments from readers. It has been so gratifying with the publication of this book to get emails from readers. There have been just some very beautiful responses that I'm so grateful for. But I love feedback, and people can find me on my website, sarahlkaufman.com, and there's contact information there. I'm also on Facebook. Sarah L. Kaufman Writer. I'm on Twitter, at Sarah L. Kaufman. I'm on Instagram, Sarah L. Kaufman. And also through the Washington Post. So there are many ways to get in touch with me, and I welcome a connection with readers. It has been a big joy and a lovely thing about publishing this book. Sarah, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you today. I've enjoyed every moment of listening to you talk so gracefully, I might add. Thank you very much. <laughs> and the discussion we've had, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Byron. It was a great pleasure. Indeed. I hope everyone is a little smarter, better, and faster and wiser with their life and more graceful with their approach to the world. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next month. Next week, actually. What am I saying? <laughs> next week. Thanks very much. We'll see you then. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.